The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Jeff Reinbold calling out Ticat star linebacker Simone Lawrence. Trevor Harris's leadership ability, or lack thereof. The Riders' continued penalty woes. Chris Jones tugging another starter. And a legendary Canadian University quarterback getting his call to the hall. But first... Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke continues to be the highlight of the young CFL season after lighting up the Toronto Argonauts for a Canadian QB record, 436 passing yards and four touchdowns in another blowout win. His historic two-week stretch has earned praise from Mr. Russ Jackson and caught the attention of NFL personnel people. JC, you've seen both of his starts live at BC Place, so can Rourke keep it up? He absolutely can. Boy, This kid is special to watch. He's playing the quarterback position at a historically good level right now. Look at his his, uh, completion percentage. He's almost in the 90s through two games. That's unheard of at any level of football, let alone the professional one. He's super impressive. And I said this to someone earlier this week. There are system quarterbacks, and I think coming into... Uh, you know, his CFL career, some assumed Nathan Rourke might be a system quarterback. He's not. He's a system elevating quarterback. He's so perfectly suited for what offensive coordinator Jordan Maximic is doing in BC. It's so tailored to him that he's made that offense through two games almost unstoppable. It's like there isn't even a defense on the field. And it doesn't seem to matter who's on the other end of the passes that he's throwing. Brian Burnham goes down in that game with fractured ribs and a punctured lug, and he keeps on putting up the points. So to me, it's easy to see what Rourke has done on the field with the Lions. Obviously, highly efficient, has been precise as a passer at all levels of the field, deep, intermediate, and short range, and also showing you his athletic ability with his legs. But it's what he's doing behind the scenes that has led to this success. Rick Campbell, the head coach and co-general manager, essentially said coming into the season that Rourke had stayed over some nights at the facility there with the Lions and had really ingrained himself in this role as being the franchise guy. Then after the win against the Argos, Gary Peters said that he's always around there. He's the first guy and last guy to leave. And he's even walking around eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, JC. But you got to get to the bottom of this. Is he a crunchy peanut butter guy or a smooth peanut butter guy? And what kind of jelly is in those PB&Js? Because it seems to be the secret to his success. I'm sure it is. I I don't know that for sure, but... It's not hard to believe he's spending nights at the facility because believe it or not, Nathan Rourke, who is currently the best quarterback in the CFL as it stands right now through three weeks, who is potentially the greatest hope for the future of Canadian quarterbacking, 
is living at home with his parents right now. The whole family moved out to Vancouver. He's in the parents' basement. I'm pretty sure he has to borrow the family minivan to go to work. I mean, as a a guy who's about the same age as Nathan Rourke, also recently graduated, also in my parents' basement, unfortunately, right now, I can relate to the struggles of the Vancouver housing market. I'm sure many can as well. And it's just such a relatable story with Nathan Rourke, such a galvanizing figure. And you saw it because you reported, Justin, that this was the most watched CFL game of the week, a game between the BC Lions and the Toronto Argonauts. We would not have suspected that would have been the most watched contest of a CFL week, any CFL week before Nathan Rourke came on the scene. Definitely not. We should make sure to say that that was the English language viewership on TSN that just edged out the Riders and Alouettes game on RDS. That game would have had a higher rating if you factor in the French language audience, which is usually in and around 100,000 on RDS. Sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's higher. But in terms of apples to apples, English language viewers, people wanted to stay up and see what Rourke was doing, even in a blowout. And that's what really stuck out to me is that people were intrigued enough to stay tuned in to that game the whole way through a 44-3 blowout loss. And there's been people across the border that have been at least sitting up in their seats to pay attention to what Rourke has done in terms of NFL personnel people taking notice of Rourke's hot start to the season. Now, he was already on NFL radars when he came out of Ohio University there. He was so productive with the Bobcats, led them to multiple bowl wins and put up a lot of passing yards and rushing yards as well. But he didn't get a contract offer from an NFL team. Went to New York Giants rookie minicamp as an athlete slash receiver type, not a quarterback. But if Rourke continues to play at a high level, and it's probably unfair to expect 400 plus passing yards and four touchdowns with no interceptions every single week, but I mean, if he continues to do that, he'll certainly be in the NFL. But if he keeps this up, gets the Lions into the playoffs and shows that he can deal with star status, well, the NFL window in his contract, I think, will be exercised because there's a lack of high-end passers in pretty much every pro football league in the world. And really, the two main ones are the NFL and the CFL. So they're going to like a guy like Rourke, who has the NCAA pedigree. We've seen a number of passers come out of the Mid-American Conference, hashtag Maction and had success in the NFL. So it makes sense that Rourke, after his success at Ohio and then coming to the CFL, and yes, it's only been two weeks, but it's been one of the best two week stretches in CFL history, bar none. I don't care what it says on his passport, Canadian, American, alien, or otherwise, he's on another level. So that's why NFL personnel people are paying attention. They're going to closely monitor how he does throughout the long CFL season. Yes, he has 16 games left. But if he continues to stack game tape like this, there's going to be a number of NFL teams calling in the offseason. And they should be calling because if you look at what he's done, his ability to run that offense. Now, when he came out of Ohio, the reason why he didn't get necessarily that NFL interest is because he wasn't seen as having NFL measurables, right? He's not that big. He's got tiny little baby hands, just like a, a Joe Burrow or someone like that. Can he pick it, right? Tiny, tiny baby hands. Um, and even though he's tremendously mobile, he's not lightning fast. He's not Lamar Jackson. 
So he sort of fell by the wayside because of these lack of measurables. And I don't think NFL teams are going to look at him now and say, oh my God, this is our starting quarterback the way they did Warren Moon back in the day, right? He's still not a guy you're going to stick out and expect to throw 90-yard bombs. But the efficiency with which he's running this offense right now, you look at some of the best backups in the NFL, guys who've had tremendous success when they've been thrust into starting roles. I I think of guys like Case Keenum and, and Gardner Minshew. Absolutely, Nathan Rourke can do that and do it arguably at a higher level than those guys did. I think he's a guy who can win you games at any level when he's on the field because of how efficient he is. And for NFL teams, that's tremendously valuable. Yeah, aside from the athletic measurables and the hand measurements that he alluded to, Rourke's a gamer, and that ultimately is what matters in any pro football league in the world. And I would not necessarily compare him to, but point out Duck Hodges, who started a handful of games in the NFL, was a bit of a circumstantial thing, came to the CFL, and it didn't work out for him, and now he's probably off duck calling or doing whatever he likes to do in the bushes. And Rourke was a guy that had a lot of success in the NCAA, and has come to the CFL, learned the game for a year behind Michael Riley, clearly took a bunch of notes, and has put that into action for two starts. Now, two starts does not an entire season make, but still, it's a historically high level that he's played at these first two games, and we'll see how he keeps it going. Big-time test, going to Ottawa against a Red Blacks team that played the two-time defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers very close in a home-and-home set to start the season. And, oh, by the way, the Red Blacks are coming off a bye week as well, and they'll be at home on Thursday night football. So if Rourke continues to pass these tests, then you know the NFL is going to come calling. But right now, it's clear. Rourke is drawing attention from coast to coast in our country. It's a great story, and it really shows the importance of Canadian JC in the CFL, even though Randy Ambrosi and some of his cronies want to get rid of the ratio because, dare I say, if Brandon Bridge hadn't pushed that rule along where it's gotten to the point now where a guy like Rourke actually starts towards those seven Canadians that you need to have on your game day roster because that wasn't the case just a few years ago, then Rourke might not have gotten this opportunity. But full credit to Neil McAvoy and Rick Campbell for having the cojones to go with Rourke and believing in him based on what they saw from him behind the scenes, because it looks like it could pay off in a big way. Absolutely. And it's worth remembering Nathan Rourke did not come out of college as the number one pick in the CFL draft, right? He's a second round selection, 15th overall. That's pretty incredible given what he's showing right now as a starting quarterback. And it shows the bias, man. I hate to harp on it, but it's the truth. American personnel men and coaches in this league need to understand that Canadians at the quarterback position, specifically in this instance, can play the game at a high level. If given a similar opportunity, then all of the Americans that we see come up here year after year and flame out. Everybody wants to point to Johnny Manziel, but the most recent example is Cardell Jones. Former Ohio State University star, led the Buckeyes to a national championship down there, you know, was in the NFL for a little while, didn't carve out a long career there, couldn't even get through a training camp with the Edmonton Elks, and Trey Ford, who was a first-round pick like Rourke should have been in his draft year, beats him out for the backup job. So, to me, we're seeing this slowly turn very, very slowly, but the bias needs to be removed. Canadian quarterbacks can ball 
Let's have them at least get the same opportunity. I don't want to say it should be given, but it needs to be fair, especially in this day and age that we live in. And and we should move on. But the last thing I want to say is perhaps this is a message to CFL teams to reevaluate how they're scouting the quarterback position right now. Cause we, I think we are at a historic uh, dearth of talent, quarterbacking talent in the CFL right now. This has been a league that's, been known for having quarterbacks that have exceeded expectations, uh, you know, have elevated the the level of play around them. We haven't seen that the last few years, except for Nathan Rourke now. And he wasn't a guy who was necessarily highly coveted as the next face of the franchise based on his draft position. There are other guys like him out there, regardless of passport, right? American or Canadian who can run systems as efficiently and effectively as he do he does, but maybe don't have that top end canard of an arm. Perhaps we should be looking at more of those guys in order to pump up the offenses going forward in the CFL. Now the wheels fell off the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in week three, losing 37 to 13 to the Montreal Alouettes. While quarterback Cody Fajardo blamed injuries and a short week for the loss, outside voices thought differently as former CFL coach Jeff Reinbold called out the Riders for penalty troubles, saying, quote, they are going to be watching someone else play the Grey Cup in their building. Who is more right? Ooh, well, I got to go with Reinbold here, to be honest, because those penalty woes have been consistent through the first three games for the Rough Riders. And yes, they still won the first two, but at key times, especially if you get into another West, West final with, you know, let's say possibly the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you can't afford to have those types of penalties and then expect to win the ball game. You're going to have to battle against a lot of adversity to get it done. So they need to fix it. Is it a major issue? Not necessarily because they are still 2-1. and one. I think there was a lot stacked against the Riders in that short week. And Fajardo had a brace on. He said his knee was a little banged up. And he's, of course, going to play through it. But that could have been a factor as well. And the scoreline was a little inflated in my mind when you get some of those turnovers piling up and the points happen quickly off of them. And it just was not an ideal situation for Saskatchewan to go from a physical game in Edmonton where they needed to win it in the last five minutes, Fajardo spinning away from that Chris Jones blitz and hitting Mitch Picton for what would be the game-winning touchdown to traveling home, short week. They didn't have one real practice, really, to prep for Montreal. And then you go to Montreal, who was upset after an 0-2 start and probably had a bunch of fuel charged up when they saw that Trevor Harris was going to be the guy at quarterback because he's more consistent there. And then you got Gary Stern chirping on Twitter and, you know, it makes for great headlines, but I just think everything was going against the Riders in that situation. So they're not as bad as they were in Montreal. Are they as good as they looked in that 2-0 start? And especially how well they played against Hamilton is probably somewhere in the middle, but this week for the Riders is very key in terms of their mental makeup and character. We're going to find out what these dudes are made of when they step on the field in that rematch against Montreal. Let's just put these discipline issues in perspective because I've got the numbers in front of me here. 34 penalties over three games for 325 yards. That's an insane. They were over 100 yards in, I think, all three games. That's basically what you can expect as an offense against the BC Lions at the most right now. So that is a significant number that has to change. And as Jeff Reinbold pointed out, 
Craig Dickinson has talked about this extensively and the locker room doesn't seem to be listening. So someone has to step up to the plate and be a leader here. But That's for me, part to me is you need to have guys that are going to police themselves or as a coach with Dickinson, you're going to have to show these guys that they're going to lose the one thing that is so critical to their careers playing time to keep taking these stupid penalties. Now I get it. If it's a prime time player and the Moncrief ejection is probably a one-off because he's usually a pretty chill dude. So I think something must have happened there against the Elks to really set him off. But Dickinson might have to make an example of somebody because if these penalty woes continue, the pressure is going to crank up on Dickinson. And especially if the penalty woes happen to keep them out of a gray cup, then there's going to be talk about Dickinson and how he did not deal with that issue during the regular season. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But for me, I think the bigger issue, the thing I'm more concerned about when it comes to the Saskatchewan Roughriders is their offense right now. Well, you look, they're in the middle of the pack in most categories for for overall uh, statistics in the league. They've been able to notch two wins. But if you look at those two wins, it was late surges from them, late points that was able to put them over the top. And they were really inconsistent in the early going. And they showed that again against Montreal. I had high hopes for this offense coming into this year, but the obstacles are starting to stack up, right? Kyron Moore, uh, you know, misses the first part of the season. He's on the six game injuredness list. Uh, Duke Williams has been banged up. Shaq Evans is now on the six game injured list, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And you're missing your starting center in Dan Clark, which had a devastating impact against the Alouettes. Eight sacks given up by that offensive line as they were starting rookie Logan Bandy in the middle. It's going to be a huge challenge for them to sort out those issues and be able to be more consistent and put up points earlier in games and throughout football games in order to get more wins on the board. And I I think some of the blame here, in my opinion, has to go a little bit to Jason Moss, the offensive coordinator. I haven't loved the way he's run that scheme this year so far. I think they need to get Keon Schaefer-Baker more involved in more creative ways because he's such a dynamic weapon, such an athlete, and he hasn't been utilized as such, in my opinion. With that many injuries in the receiving core, that has to change going forward. Agreed. Schaefer-Baker needs to see more footballs and perhaps Evans being out of the lineup opens that up. It's kind of difficult when you have Duke Williams and Shaq Evans, two high-end guys, to spread the ball around a ton when you want to feature them and have a bunch of targets. And we know Moss loves Williams, goes back to their days together in Edmonton. So I would look for Schaefer Baker to step up in terms of getting more targets with Evans out of the lineup. And you're right in the sense that the riders need to get the penalty situation figured out and under control pretty quickly. Otherwise, it's going to start costing them wins. And in this West division that looks ultra competitive, you have multiple teams that are currently undefeated. You're going to want to try to get some of that home field advantage if you legitimately think you have a shot to get to the Great Cup game at Mosaic Stadium. And the Rough Riders should. They have a stout defense. Jason Shivers has been great in terms of coordinating everything on that side of the football. Special teams has been solid, but the offense needs to bring it, and I think more consistently. Fajardo turned the ball over there in Montreal, and even though he's beat up a little bit, you got to take care of that ball, man. That's what really inflated that scoreline in my mind because you can't be doing 
that kind of thing in the playoffs. And even though they almost battled through it in the last West final they played in, in Winnipeg, that's an issue. Cody Fajardo needs to clean it up and have a better touchdown interception ratio. He absolutely does. And we talked about Nathan Rourke elevating the team around him in his first season. Cody Fajardo did that. I haven't seen it since. And he, it, that needs to change for the riders to be successful. Yes, sir. In other Jeff Reinbold related news, Hamilton Tiger Cats linebacker Simone Lawrence took issue with his former coach for saying he had failed to produce any quote, big plays, close quote, during the Tiger Cats 0 for start. Lawrence called Reinbold, quote, fake as bleep, end quote. The Thai Cats are 0-3 after another quiet showing from Lawrence. So does Reinbold have a point? I think he absolutely does. And it's not just Simone Lawrence. He called out some other guys on that Hamilton defense, veteran guys like Dylan Wynn and Micah Johnson, who have not been producing those big plays either. But right now, Simone Lawrence sticks out like a sore thumb because we know just how impactful he can be when he's on. One of the best defensive players in the league. And he's not done much except, you know, a controversial hit this season, right? There's no sacks, no interceptions, no forced fumbles, nothing of that nature, which is usually his bread and butter, right? He's maybe not at the top in terms of tackles, but he's always at the top when it comes to defensive playmaking and he's been not only not able to do that in games I watched that that Hamilton game I couldn't have told you if Simone Lawrence was on the field he was a non-factor he's completely disappeared he needs to step up his game absolutely I'm sure Simone Lawrence doesn't want to hear this right he did not react well in my opinion to Jeff Reinbold's comments and he started bringing up old tweets of Reinbold you know praising him for success in years past I don't care about that, Simone. This is a what have you done for me lately sport. And right now you haven't done much and your team is suffering. So step it up and get back to the tremendous player we know you can be. First of all, it was surprising to see Lawrence shoot back on a game day. We got to remember, that's when that tweet happened, right? It was before they kicked off against the Blue Bombers in Winnipeg in a Grey Cup rematch. So I thought he might save it and wait and keep his focus on the game. That didn't happen, perhaps impacted where his focus was. I think on the other side of this, though, teams are game planning against Lawrence. And you talk to some people around the league who have watched the game film, there haven't necessarily been a ton of weight plays that have come the way of Lawrence and been right in his face. Is he a great defender that should be making plays away from the ball when it's gone away from him? Yes, I would totally agree. Does he have eye-popping stats that have had him in the conversation for most outstanding defensive player in the past through three games? No, but I also don't think he's played horribly. And overall, that unit in Hamilton, the defense in particular, is not the reason that they're 0 for 3. It's Dane Evans turning the football over nine freaking times, JC. We've talked about it on the podcast. Six interceptions now, three lost fumbles. That's the issue. The defense has been put in some difficult positions. And in my mind, really, the key cause to the 0-3 start is Evans turning it over. I know some of those interceptions have bounced off receivers' hands and they should have been caught and those guys got to help them out. But that, to me, is the main issue. And then the secondary one is the offensive line. 
The defense is not the issue in Hamilton. The special teams definitely need to be better as well. And they got to find a way to protect Evans better. And even if Evans is under pressure, he's got to take care of that ball better. Or at some point here, the Ticats, if they go 0-4, 0-5, 6 like if they keep losing here and it goes back to 2017 and the Ticats end up 0-8, what happened then? Zach Caleros was benched making over $500,000 in favor of Jeremiah Masoli, who is now the franchise quarterback in Ottawa. And there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on that decision to move away from Masoli and go from Evans if Evans doesn't start to take care of the football. You're absolutely right, Dunk. The offense is the issue there. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how soon that hook gets pulled out for Evans because I think it's creeping up. Now, I don't have a tremendous amount of faith in the fact that Matthew Schultz is the next guy. I know there are some around the league who like him. I don't see him as a potential franchise guy, but I do. I am really intrigued by their third guy on the depth chart, uh, Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest. This is a guy who, entering into what would have been his senior year of college, was getting first-round NFL draft hype uh, coming out of Wake Forest transferred to Georgia, then decided to sit out the year because of the COVID pandemic, thinking his draft stock would be unaffected. It was a terrible gamble. Someone gave him bad advice. He went undrafted and couldn't catch on in the NFL, but has all the talent in the world. I wonder if Evans struggles and then Schiltz doesn't necessarily step up. If we see Newman by the end of the year, and he's another one of these young quarterbacks that is potentially the next guy in the CFL. Yeah, that's a bit of a far reach in my mind, but it's not out of the question right now with how Evans has been unable to take care of the football. I think you're definitely right that it's getting closer to that time where they're going to have to say, hey, we got to take care of the ball game, man, because you're just not securing the football and we can't be turning it over and putting our defense in bad positions and flipping field position quickly with the turnovers that you've had. And they signed Schultz for a reason. He was a guy that has experience. You know, maybe he doesn't have that franchise guy capability, but I mean, nobody would have said that about Cody Fajardo before he went in there for the Riders. So we don't know, especially with a competent team around him. This was my major question mark coming into the season for the Tiger Cats was choosing Evans and him being the unquestioned starter there because that had never been the case. He always, for better or for worse, and maybe unfairly against Evans, had Masoli to lean on. And if Evans wasn't playing well, they would go back to Masoli. But through those years, Masoli was the lead guy. He was the guy that started the season in 2019. Yes, Masoli had the ACL injury, and Evans took that juggernaut of the team to the Grey Cup. But Evans struggled in the Grey Cup. Anytime the pressure seems to be cranked up, Evans doesn't play his best football. In 2021, the training camp battle leads to Masoli being chosen as the starter, and he was the guy that started the majority of the season at quarterback. And I hate saying it. Sounds like I'm banging on the guy, but there were a lot of people that questioned Evans' ability to be a leader after that game where he got hurt in Toronto and there were tears on the sidelines, and they felt like you shouldn't see that from your franchise quarterback. I understand we're all emotional people, And we've been through different things like that where we feel those emotions. But I'm just relaying what CFL personnel people told me based on that 
one instance. Tears, I don't think, necessarily indicate the ability to be a franchise quarterback or not, but it was something that stuck out to people. So ultimately here, and the Tiger Cats won't come out and say it, but Orlando Steinauer is going to be held accountable for that decision because he was the guy that was elevated to president of football operations along with the head coach. And for whatever reason, it's been hard to figure it out or get many people to talk about it. They decided to go with Evans. Some people think it had to do with age and him being younger. And then other people don't really have a reason why they let Masoli go to Ottawa and look what he's done. Yeah, they don't have any wins. But he looks like he's been in that Paul Police offense for 10 years and has completely changed the whole feeling and energy in the building there in Ottawa. So if this old first start continues, there are going to be a lot of questions raised and pressure put on people there in Hamilton. Now they get the Edmonton Elks at home, a winless team that is on the ropes right now. But the Elks have played better football in the last couple of weeks. They played Calgary very tight, who is at the top of the West Division right now. Saskatchewan, who's supposed to compete for a Grey Cup, they took down to the wire. So this is not going to be easy, even though the Elks record says 0-3. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the thing you touched on that we haven't talked about enough is the role of the offensive line in this decline for Evans because Mazzoli is the type of mobile guy that if you have protection issues up front, he can sort of make some plays happen regardless. You can roll him out, you can play action, you can do all these different things with Jeremiah Mazzoli that can compensate for protection issues. Danny Evans isn't that same type of guy. He's more of a statuesque pocket passer, and their offensive line has been horrendous throughout this start to the season, really struggled in every single game uh, with three different combinations thus far. And if you look at Evans and and his history of not performing under pressure, that goes both for pressure in the situation and pressure uh, from the defense, because those great cups he's struggled in, that was with a lot of pressure from the likes of Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson coming from the Bombers defense that disrupted those games for Dane Evans as well. We're seeing that thus far in the CFL season. Well put, my man. You know, I do not want to discredit Ryan Bold and his analysis because he's watched more CFL film than we ever will, and he knows the league really well. But I kind of felt like it was an unwarranted shot, to be quite honest, at Lawrence. Speaking of unwarranted shots, perhaps, with Vernon Adams Jr. out due to COVID, Trevor Harris, first start of the 2022 season, was a success. More starts are expected for the veteran, but not all are convinced that the Alouettes are his team for the foreseeable future, including former teammate J.P. Bolduke, who said on Ottawa Radio this week that Harris is not, quote, a natural leader, end quote. Is Bolduke off base? I think he is here, and I was kind of surprised to see this comment come out. Now, everybody's going to have a different opinion of how you're a natural leader, but Harris is a guy that is so dedicated to his craft that I just don't understand how that wouldn't come out as being a natural leader. Everybody does it in their own way, and maybe some people expect leaders to be very vocal and demonstrative in sort of a certain way, but Harris does it in his own way, which is unique, just like, you know, many of us do whatever it is in our lives in the way that we lead. So I think it is off base in that sense, because we've heard Harris talk about wanting to play 
into his 40s and really getting into the TB12 method, the Tom Brady sort of concept of working out and eating to make sure his career is as long as possible. So he's constantly looking at ways to make sure he's on the field and available for his team and being the best quarterback that he can be. Is he a guy that's going to, you know, yell and scream or is going to kind of take the room by the neck and drag him along with him? Probably not, but that's not who Harris is. So I think Balduke needs to understand who his teammate is and how he leads because it can be done in many different ways. I'm actually going to disagree with you here, Dunk, because I think J.P. Bullduke has a point. Now, to what you said before, I, I do think Harris leads by example in some of the things he does, his preparation. I have no criticism of that. And Bullduke said he doesn't always lead by example. I disagree. However, overall, in my experience covering Trevor Harris, there are stretches in which he struggles with the mental aspect of the game and being able to be consistent emotionally. He goes through these bad patches where he just seems to be in his own mind. He can't find the rhythm. We saw it at the start of last season. He's just down in the dumps and he's not carrying himself the right way. To me, that's not something that a true natural leader does. Now, it may not be as obvious as Vernon Adam Jr. going out on Twitter and you know criticizing his team or having an outburst like that, but it's still something that people see in a locker room when your quarterback's struggling to handle his own emotions and can't get out of his own way. That's that's difficult to follow, right? You don't have necessarily the trust in the guy leading you if you think he's going to be defeated between his own ears. And I've seen that from Harris over the years. Um, so I think Bull Duke has a point. And at some point, if that happens again in Montreal for Harris, if he goes through a bad stretch, I mean, his own teammate right now, Armando Sewell, said last year, if you hit him, you know, he, he can't recover. Well, if that happens again, he gets in that bad place and starts to struggle. That's the opportunity where Vernon Adams Jr. can come back in because we've seen it have a, a terrible effect on Harris's performance over the last few years. Yeah, it's a, certainly a possibility. And man, we can disagree. We need more of that, more drama to drive some listenership on the podcast, JC. So let me have it, buddy. But I can see a scenario where, yeah, Adam Jr. gets back in there if Harris goes through a bit of a lull. But it's very clear that Danny Machocha, the GM there, wants Harris to be the quarterback of that team. I think that's why the hook was pulled so quickly on Adams Jr. in Toronto. And people are entitled to their opinions here also. Bull Duke has been in the locker room with Harris, and this is how he feels. So rightfully so, and I think it's great. We're kind of seeing it more and more really this season where people are opening up and giving us their honest assessments of what's going on, whether that's Gary Stern on Twitter or saying that they're going to kill the Argos or Jeff Reinbold. You know, people might think that they're getting lit up by him, but I think it's some honest criticism. Like that is what drives so much of the interest in the NFL, especially is honest talk and being open about what's going on. And I think Paul Duke here doesn't say anything that, is outlandish. He's just giving you his opinion from being in the locker room with Harris. Exactly. And he, he put plenty of caveats on it. He, he praised Harris for his performance in that game, which I think rightfully so. Harris looked tremendous 
in that contest against Saskatchewan. And he said if he continues to play like that, it's going to look like a genius move from Danny Machocha to bring him in for a steal of a contract to essentially be a starting quarterback at, at half the price of most of the, the top-end starters in this league. And all of that is true, but we need to have more people speak their mind in this league because we sort of languish in obscurity sometimes when we have these comments not to put locker room uh, bulletin board material out there for other teams. We need this excitement. We need some showmanship, uh, whether it's from analysts, now retired players like J.P. Bolduc and and Jeff Reinbold or current players. When those things happen, it drives excitement and attention to league. And to your point, that's exactly what the CFL needs. The Toronto Argonauts could use that to fill seats, but we're talking about the Argos for a different reason because they're ignoring traditional wisdom and will not burn the game film from their 44-3 loss to the BC Lions with quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson going so far as to say the loss would be, quote, awesome, end quote, for his team. Is that the right mentality to have? It's a bit of a head-scratching quote in terms of what he actually said. You know, saying that this blowout loss was going to be tremendous for the football team but if you saw him actually make the comments I wouldn't want to be within a hundred yards of where McLeod Bethel Thompson was standing after that game because he looked angry like furiously angry Uh, I think he's fired up and I think he has a point where you can't move on from something like this you have to stare at yourself in the mirror and determine what contributed to it You can't just say it was an abomination and move on. You need to determine, especially early in the season, what it is you have to fix, whether that's yourself as an offense, McLeod Bethel Bethel Thompson personally, or whether it's from a coaching perspective, a scheme perspective, whatever it is, you need to make that evaluation after a loss like that. And burning the game film doesn't help you this early in the season. So I agree with McBeth. I maybe don't agree with his specific wording. I thought that was a little bit strange, but I agree with his sentiment. And it was interesting for me to see the sort of contrast between him and Ryan Dinwiddie in their post-game addresses to the media, because Dinwiddie has been known to be sort of a fiery guy at practice with his team. He was pretty subdued after this loss, whereas Bethel Thompson looked pretty fired up to me. Yeah, I like the mentality from Macbeth because it shows that he's about getting better. And if you forget what just happened, well, I don't know how you're going to improve for the future. So I like that mentality, but the Argos are a bit of an enigma right now because I think some people thought they would play better to start the season. They got a fortunate win when David Cote missed that short chip shot field goal to gift Toronto a win on the season. Then they go out to BC and get shellacked. And this was a team that had an extra week to prepare for kicking off their season. They didn't start until week two, and a lot of people felt like they would be right there in these division contending to be in top spot going into the playoffs. Now, fortunately, it's not as if any East Division team has stacked up some wins to start the season, and that's still well within reach. But this group overall has to play better, especially on offense. Like McLeod Bethel-Thompson has some guys back there that he has a rapport with, Tavares Daniels to be one of them. And they add Brandon Banks to the mix, and he thought, okay, they're going to be more explosive. And oh, by the way, Andrew Harris running the football, so your play-action game could be even more potent. But it just hasn't happened 
in Toronto yet. It hasn't meshed. It hasn't clicked. And Bethel Thompson, in all honesty, has made some horrific reads as well. So he needs to perform better and get better from the game tape. And the Argos as a whole do. Otherwise, they're going to get run out of that competitive East division, potentially by a crossover team in the West. Mm -hmm. You know, I was not high on the Toronto Argonauts entering this season. They added some very big name pieces, but they're all older players. And sometimes that's a struggle. I think we're seeing that now. I also got some flack on this podcast a few weeks ago for my criticism of McLeod Bethel Thompson, calling him (laughs) the Andy Dalton of the CFL and just fine. And I think I stand by those comments through their first two games of the season, right? He's made some bad throws, some bad reads, but if you look at the stats, right? McLeod Bethel Thompson looks pretty good, right? He looks fine. He's 70% completion percentage, you know, enough yards, you know, more touchdowns than interceptions, yaga, yaga, yaga. And it's done nothing for his football team. They've looked terrible in both their games, even though his stats look competent. And I think that's the problem with McLeod Bethel Thompson as a starter, in my opinion, is he just doesn't elevate the guys around him. He's competent. He's fine. He's good at what he does, but he's not necessarily going to be a guy who drives you to victory when the rest of your team doesn't step up. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to this. Stats don't necessarily equal wins. And we've seen it from a guy like Bolivar Mitchell in Calgary, who has help some people might say led the St. Peter's to a 3-0 start even though he wasn't playing his best football for you know decent chunks of those games I guess week three notwithstanding because that was a pretty complete effort from Mitchell whereas Bevel Thompson that's the next evolution for him is learning to win when you're not necessarily playing your best and don't make those stupid throws that either lead to turnovers of the offense coming off the field you know I really think in Toronto I see a lack of an undisputed leader. And we know what Andrew Harris meant to Winnipeg in that locker room. We've all seen his hype sentences, I guess, let's say that came from the locker room. I got your back. I got your back. Right. He's all hyped up with that team, but it's a new city for him. It's new surroundings. He's not necessarily going to come in and be that guy right away in Toronto. So you'd like to see somebody stick out and kind of grab that team and say, let's go fellas, because they have the makings of being a legit defense. And I think a solid offense that could comprise a great team in Toronto that can contend to be the team that comes out of the East division and get to the gray cup, which I think a lot of people thought might happen this year after them finishing first in the East during the regular season last year, we all know what happened in the East final when Dane Evans went perfect in that second half to lead the Tiger Cats to a comeback win. But there were some people that felt like, oh, well, they added Andrew Harris and Brandon Banks and Jagger Davis, as you alluded to, that they could be that much better. Well, on the flip side of it, you'd rather be a year too early on the decline than a year too late. And we're still early in the season. Banks has flashed. Harris, we saw him go over 100 total scrimmage yards in his first outing there in double blue in Toronto. And Jagger Davis has been quiet, but it's early. So let's see how we go a little bit here with the Argos and how they deal with this blowout and potentially bounce back. I think what surprised me most watching that game wasn't how poorly the offense performed. It's how poorly the defense performed. And that's a tough system to defend that the BC Lions are running, how quick the ball gets out of Nathan Rourke's hands. And uh, 
you know, it's difficult to make plays against that, but this is still a much more talented defense than they showed against BC. I wanted to see more push from that defensive line. You know, there was some big hits out there, but not necessarily consistent play from some of the guys like Winton McManus and, and uh, uh, Enoch Moamba in the middle. Um, no, I shouldn't criticize McManus. He had like a thousand tackles in that game. He was all over the field, but everybody else needs to step up and start making more of those plays underneath to be a more successful team defensively going forward as well. Now you mentioned him earlier, but Calgary Stampeders quarterback, Bo Levi Mitchell threw for 321 yards and notched his team's third straight victory to start the season after a whole bunch of controversy to start uh, before the season started. Is it time to finally put to bed the questions around Mitchell's health and longevity. Not yet because we need to see this prolonged, but I would argue that that was Mitchell's best game in week three since before his shoulder injury that he sustained in 2019. Had a high completion rate, you know, wasn't hovering around 50% where he kind of seemed to be for better parts of last season in games. And overall, you could see that the offense had some jump in them and they've had that in the opening week in particular when they scored 30 and Hamilton in the second half, there's been stretches there where you're thinking, what is Mitchell doing or where's the arm strength? But it seems like he's putting it together here and he's gaining confidence. He's back to talking smack a little bit. And, you know, he mentioned he didn't want to give the finger to anybody after that comeback in Hamilton and proving the doubters wrong. And it's great for the league when Mitchell's going well. And we got to see here, though, if he can put the whole season together just because he's missed parts of the last two CFL seasons with significant injuries that really weren't necessarily his fault from dumb decisions or anything like that. Just unfortunate circumstances with the shoulder and then the broken leg. So in my mind, let's see if he can continue to do what he's shown in the past that he can. And maybe he's finding this new style of Mitchell playing quarterback. Everybody wants to talk about that Bo Levi Mitchell that we know from the past, two-time CFL MLP, two-time Grey Cup champion, the gunslinger, throwing the ball all over the field. Well, that arm strength ain't coming back tomorrow, okay? It's probably gone for good, but he's so savvy. He knows the defenses so well, and he knows what's going to come out of them most of the time. He's seen it so many times that I think this is this new style of quarterback that Mitchell is, is a thinking man's quarterback and a guy that still has a heck of an arm. It's just not to that caliber to when he broke into the league. Absolutely. And this was the first time we saw him play that way for four straight quarters for a complete game, which I was really pleased to see because as much as we talk about Bo Levi Mitchell and, and, you know, whether how many more years he can play and how his health is, I want to see him succeed because he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play this game. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind, I think in everybody's mind, and we're better off when he's playing like he played this week. I mean, now that's six straight quarters plus an overtime of successful play. We'll put it in the the win or the positive category for the season so far, just by this much, you know, six bad quarters, then seven good quarters. Um So he's starting to turn things around. And most impressive to me was he did so on a week in which he re-aggravated that ankle injury from week one, couldn't practice to the full extent. He was questionable for the game. In fact, Dave Dickinson said, 
up until kickoff, he, he thought he was going to start Jake Meyer, that that was going to be the guy for that week. And then Mitchell came out. He said, I'm ready to go. Went out there, put up a 300 yard performance. I'm really happy to see that in Calgary. And shout out Malik Henry, who had a big time game for the Stamps on the receiving court. And it looks like they've got some dangerous weapons. You add him to Reggie Begleton as well. And then you have Kamar Jordan, who we know is a longtime favorite of Mitchell, too. So that group is getting more dangerous by the week, it seems like, as they go along here. They got Kadeem Carey, Tolton the Rock in the backfield, who looks healthy after being nicked in that Hamilton game. So Calgary could be pretty scary here. And traditionally, even in the years when the Stampeders were really, really good, they started slow. Like they would tie some games with the Red Blacks, if people remember, or they might have a loss here or there to start the year. And then they would just go on this crazy streak. But this season, they've started strong, at least from a winning standpoint, 3-0. and So in my mind, you get this team together with Mitchell having some confidence, Dave Dickinson knowing what to do overall with that team and get them to the top of the West Division. And as much as everybody loves Nathan Rourke and his start, and I do, I would put the Stamps ahead right now in terms of if I had to select a team today and who was going to win the West Division, it would be Calgary, based on what we've seen early in the season and the experience that Mitchell and Dickinson have. Not to say that Rourke and the Lions can't do it or Saskatchewan can't jump up or Winnipeg doesn't win the West again, but I think Calgary has the makings and the history to potentially get it done. Long way to go, though. Long, long way to go, Dunk. Indeed. Let's go to the three-minute drill. JC, kick us up. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have acquired offensive tackle Colin Kelly from the Edmonton Elks in exchange for a seventh-round pick. Is he the steal who could turn that offensive line around? It's possible Kelly is certainly a badly needed upgrade for that Ticats offensive line. I'm sure Evans looked up to the heavens and was thanking his lucky stars for the trade. Saskatchewan receiver Shaq Evans is expected to miss six to eight weeks with a fractured ankle suffered in week three against Montreal. Who's the next man up for the Raiders? It's a big loss, big shoes to fill. I think it's down to two options in my mind. Either you go with three Canadian receivers and you give Samuel Emelis his shot, the first round pick from this year, or I'm really intrigued by a small school guy they've got on their roster, Julie Aristotle Jr. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Anyway, I saw him down in Texas. He's a baller, huge body guy. I think he could be a different threat in that Raiders offense. The Grey Cup rematch between Hamilton and Winnipeg was delayed due to inclement weather, but only by 30 minutes. How glad were you that we didn't have a repeat of that marathon night from a few years ago, Dunk? You know, as much as that night was fun for a lot of people involved, and it was one of the unique moments in CFL history, I'm glad that this game did not last that long. BC receiver Brian Burnham has been placed on the six-game injured list after suffering fractured ribs and a punctured lung against Toronto. Can the Lions keep clicking without Burnham? I think they can. He's no longer the number one threat in that offense that he used to be. Um, and this is an offense that's designed around Nathan Rourke distributing that ball all the way around the field quickly. So they'll be able to compensate. I just want to give Brian Burnham credit. On that injury, I don't know how he hung on to the ball. That's another impressive catch from an all-time great CFL receiver. For the third straight week, the Edmonton Elks have released a starter. Defensive back Matt Elam was one of five players cut by the team this week. Should we expect more axes to fall courtesy of Chris Jones? 
There will be a bunch more, especially in the first year with him in Edmonton. But Jones needs to be careful here. He keeps making moves, and if the Elks don't have some consistency with their lineup and they keep going over, man, people are going to call him the question his job because he was supposed to be better than the previous regime that was in Edmonton. The Montreal Alouettes are the latest CFL team to lose their starting center. Sean Jamison will miss six to eight weeks with a knee injury in the Owls adapt. I think they can. I really like David Brown, who I think is the next man up. He had a tremendous uh, collegiate career at the University of Western. Um, it's going to be tough, but the Montreal Alouettes offensive line the last couple of years, I think, has been better than the sum of their parts. They outplay their talent because of how cohesive they are as a unit. And if there's any group that can compensate uh, for missing their starting center, I think it's that one. The Ottawa Red Blacks had their own injury news coming off the bye week as defensive back Abdul Kenga will miss significant time. Is that a big loss? Who well, it could be. He's been a stable veteran piece in that secondary. We'll see exactly how long he's going to be out, but they're going to have to shuffle the deck in the secondary and deal without him for at least a little bit. Former University of Maine cornerback Catley Joseph, who went undrafted in the 2022 CFL draft, has transferred to the University of Saskatchewan. Can he be an impact player with the Huskies? I think he can be. Now, Catley Joseph didn't have the best measurables at his pro day, but he was coming off an injured season. He showed he could be an elite quarterback at the SCS level, was very successful early in his career. I think he can translate that to success at Saskatchewan, and they also added another transfer who started his career at Maine, then went to UBC, and Ted Kabongo, the running back, he's a big body. That could be a new element in that running game now that Adam Mackhart is gone. Former University of Calgary quarterback Andrew Buckley has been inducted into the Canada West Hall of Fame. Did he walk so that Nathan Rourke could run? <laughs> Man, he kind of kept it going. we got to go all the way back obviously to Mr. Russ Jackson, but there's been a few guys over the years that have pushed it forward, and Buckley was certainly one of those. And with that, that's it for the latest episode of the Free On Nation podcast. Be sure to tune in next week when we're back at it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.